Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast Are from there The Word. To be the presenters, and that's what's now called imaging. So it's just basically it's promos. It, it basically the gives the radio you're listening to a single thread, a tangible that you are listening to one thing. And so the imaging always has the same kind of music arrangements, compression, the same voice usually making all the announcements. And so that provides this odd aut- kind of oral spine of continuity. And you see, he knows that because he's written a book about it. I know. It. <laughs> we, I think we've started, haven't we, we Fraser? Have we've actually it. started the word podcast. And uh, you may detect uh, the voices that you've heard. Phil Jupiter's Phil, welcome. Ah, uh, thank you all. Uh, Phil has written uh, a book about his experiences in Breakfast Radio mm. called Good Morning Nantwich. And Trevor Dan from the Radio Academy. Hello. Been, you've been on this podcast in mm. the past. And I've been reading Phil's book. You've been reading Fantastic. Phil's book, and uh, yeah, I've been, I've been reading it also. Why Nantwich, Phil? I, it, it could have been anywhere. Good Morning Dis was in the running for a very long while. <laughs> uh, I'm Zwald. Good Morning Peebles. There were just an array of fabulous names, and uh, Nantwich is just... I didn't, I didn't know whether it was. Trevor and I are probably old enough to remember this. We used to get old-fashioned radios, which used to have the names of all the transmitters yeah, printed right. on the glass. Hildersim. And I'm sure Nantwich was one of them. Droitwich was certainly one. Droitwich was where the 1500 metres long wave was. That was where the transmitters were based, and so you you moved your little red line to the transmitter. Mm. How we've moved on since then. You're listening to the Blitz Recollections. (laughs) Absolutely. Welcome to the British Legion (laughs) of Radio. Absolutely. So, look, we're going to talk about radio and many of the things that have changed over the last 30, 40 years, and many of the things that are changing now, and what's likely to change in the future. and Phil's experiences on, on Six Music and Trevor's experiences on GLR and Phil's experiences on GLR also. But let's, let's just go back. What's special about radio, Phil? It's the... For, for me, it's the fact that it is the most non-intrusive of the media. Anything visual, anything that requires your eyes um, anchors you. Be it a book, a newspaper television, cinema, theatre, the, the visual aspects of it. It's the fact that you can shut your eyes, you can run around, you can do other things. It provides this kind of odd 
back noise to, to what is happening in your life. You can do other things. And what I like about that is that always, for me, gave me a physical um, uh, mark of when I was listening to good radio because I would stop the physical act that I was in the middle of. You know, if I was chopping vegetables or anything, I recall, uh, you know, uh, listening to Robert Elms was on GLR and he was talking, he had someone doing Listed London or it might have been um, Hislop from Private Eye. And they were chatting about something and then they, they got to talking about, um, they got to talking about the banker in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, not in, in Mary Poppins rather, played by David Tomlinson. And then they got into this whole, is he still alive that you do with, with act of a, as of a certain age? Tomlinson rang in, <laughs> right? And uh, and so Robert, you know, says, "Oh, we got uh, uh, David Tomlinson joins us now on the line. I can't believe it, David. I'm sorry, all this speculation over whether you're alive or not." And, he, and Tomlinson's being very duffish and going, ah, blah, blah, blah. and th- at this point, I had stopped cutting the vegetables. I was leaning towards the radio. That's what you do. There's a sort of lean, and then and then and then in the middle of all this, um, 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 uh, uh, Robert points out to David Tomlinson that he's live on the radio. We are live. Are oh, we really? Well, you can all bugger off then. <laughs> which was, which is just one of those. I, I, I love those things that that happens. It happens a lot on four, but because it's a spoken uh, media and and there's lots of live shows on four as well. But yeah. it's it's stopping you physically. It isn't. That's that's, that's yeah, one yeah, of the things. That's the magic of radio is when it does. You know, um, I did have to put uh, when Wogan did his farewell, uh, his kind of his valedictory speech at the end of his extraordinary run on radio too I did have to pull the car over because I was crying genuinely did because I couldn't drive anymore because once he really got into it because he and he didn't lean too hard on the schmaltz doesn't yeah. need to though does he he's well a, it's there I suppose it's inbuilt you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I, I love that that it physically stops you doing what you're doing right. but it's a non-intrusive media and so when it does intrude you notice it what about you Trevor what's special about radio well, you spent everything. most of your professional career in radio so. well everything Phil says is true and the fact that it is a secondary medium that you can do something else does give it a tremendous power and, and it's portability and all those things actually make it a very modern medium but I think the other thing is that from the other side of the microphone, the great thing about it compared with television particularly is no one gets in the way. You know, if you're sitting there with a mic like we are now, you can say what you like and the gap between the thought and the word is infinitesimal, whereas in television it's always, uh, can we just do that? Can you just sit in a different yes. place? Can you do, can can we we do your makeup? Lighting, or, right. You know, all that stuff. And so some of the best radio is about you, the listener... Um, in a direct one-to-one communication with the person at the other end of the mic. And the best presenters know that. And so um, they, they, can, they can form a relationship with you. We, we were talking on the, um, the Radio Academy podcast with Tony Blackburn last week mm-hmm. about this. And I mentioned your book and your descriptions, Phil, of working with Phil Wilding, your producer. And I asked Tony, what's the best kind of producer? And he said, well, one that in effect isn't there, one that goes away, one that leaves me to it because I don't really need anybody interfering, because I'm not doing an act, it's not a shtick here, this is me, this is what I do. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that, that's what's great about the intimacy of, of the wireless. Well, I, you know, I shouldn't be saying this as somebody who you know, works in the world of, uh, world of print, but I do think radio is the king of all media. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want proof, uh, in our time uh, on Radio 4, you know, which examines the most incredibly mm-hmm. complex issues, by just getting three clever people around a microphone, and Melvin Bragg very, very expertly moves them from one subject to the other, and, and you feel you've got a complete education. 
in 40 minutes. Mm. And you, you, Dave, have always loved being on the radio, haven't you? I, I, oh, yes. You know, I hired you to GLR, you know, this was before Phil was on it. And, and your show is terrific. I'm not just saying that because oh. you've invited me on the word podcast. <laughs> uh, but, um, just a bit lower. It, it was, <laughs> but it was a great show, and it was some of the best work that you have ever done. It was, it was just you talking, and what's wrong with that? Well, yeah, and no, I did ten years, and nobody interfered at all, which was a wonderful thing. So we, we'll talk about GLR, because GLR was probably was one of your first, uh, well, one of I, your first encounters with radio. I mean, this radio. is one of the things, though, that GLR were the three letters we were forbidden from ever saying around management at Six Music, because it was quite obvious that they'd taken the template... And after the review in uh, the, the late 90s when GLR was turned to a, back to being a more uh, London-based, a more talk-formatted show, uh, a station rather, um, everyone was kind of bemoaning the fact that this very adult, clever, sassy station that didn't mind playing Ian Jury in the middle of the day, you know, um, that just had these quite odd willful presenters that would you know do quite unpredictable things this thing this this was going and just making way for so geez good thing bad thing call in now you know i mean (laughs) but i think that that six music was definitely inspired by what happened at glr with its audience and the fact that this hipster audience of readers movie watchers comedy goers theater goers culture lovers uh boomers it was a boomer station glr that's what happened Sort of, you know, under Trevor and you know that whole, that whole sort of group that came along, and 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 it continued to sort of roll on under that until it was sort of stopped. And I think the BBC had that in mind when uh, when they when they decided to to create Six Music. Definitely. So for the for the benefit of anybody out of London, obviously who didn't hear GLR, Trevor, you were one of the moving spirits behind it. You know, what was it about? Oh, it was about shedding audience on the grand scale. <laughs> Uh, No, Matthew Bannister and I were told to go and rescue Radio London uh, by, I think originally we were told uh, that we had to double its audience in three years. And did you? We halved it. (laughs) And uh, and the uh, the present we were given, we were both given swanky jobs elsewhere in the BBC, which was great. Failing Um, upwards. (laughs) What we we did was we invented this idea that... um, as Phil says, it was a sort of boomer station. It was 25s to 45s, as we said then. And it was meant to be a station for people who were interested in the news and music and film and theatre and culture and all those things all at the same time. And so you could say, you know, here's the Prime Minister, ooh, there's a fire in Bermondsey, here's the new REM single. You could yeah. do any of those things. And, yeah. and what we did encourage was people like Chris Morris, Chris Evans, Danny Baker folks who would not have got on other radio stations we had room to give them where they could learn their trade make some mistakes sometimes pretty embarrassing ones which give us know. an example trevor <laughs> well i don't know whether this is a mistake but the, the, the one that still makes me go cold is chris <laughs> morris pre-recording the queen's speech one christmas day <laughs> and then recutting it and re- oh. reassembling the words so that she said all sorts of things that the Basically, the monarch did not mean to say, <laughs> and the BBC should not have endorsed. But, you know, things like that were done because we created an atmosphere of risk-taking. Uh, and I think, that, I think that 
cre- carried on even after I'd left and Phil you were there yeah. and Lamar and all the other people you celebrated well, the there was a lot of that to do with the fact there was no obvious uh, producer through the glass very often a lot of the time so I know I speak for myself just doing a programme on Friday night or Sunday evening or whatever you thought I could pull open this fader I could say anything I like and you, you know, did and I did <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know the, the, the kind of people that you had on GLR the ones you've mentioned you know, Danny Baker Chris Evans Chris Morris being the most prominent I suppose those mm. were, were people who kind of prided themselves on being beyond production weren't they well I think they were partly because in every one of those cases including Danny though of course being Danny who deny this actually they are them, their own producer they know yeah, better yeah. than you do as the manager or you, or you would as a producer what's going to work for them you, that you can't put them into some kind of straitjacket and say well this is the format pal this is what we do you really have to say here's a microphone and a transmitter off you go yeah did uh, you used to listen to this film yeah, before you no, arrived absolutely i mean morris i didn't hear that one but i used to listen to chris on a sunday morning and he just was doing stuff that you've not heard done this is it. And then, and it kind of got around as a word of mouth thing. Because I was, of course, doing stand-up at the time. And so Sunday mornings were something of an anathema. Uh, but when mates would say, you've got to listen to GLR on a Sunday morning. And, of course, Dan, subsequently, after Chris went, Danny sort of did that weekend, that Sunday morning slot. And, and, and Baker, of all the people on radio, and he continues to do so to this day, just has this way of reaching inside your head and opening a door on something that had been closed for decades. And 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 I was always like, oh, why do these people phone in today? Why are they, what is it that drives them? And then one day he said something that just had me reaching for the phone, and even I called in one time, and he said, and he was like, worst endings of films. And I, and I was like, right, and <laughs> just straight away, which was the end of Birdie. Which oh, is right. the end of Birdie, which is the where he jumps off the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the guy goes, no! And then Matthew Modine looks up and goes, what? <laughs> Worst ending of a film ever, <laughs> absolutely. I can remember hearing Chris, the first time I ever heard Chris Evans on GLR, as he used to do a midweek show in the evenings, Chris yes. from the Greenhouse. In the Greenhouse. In the Greenhouse. And I remember hearing this programme and thinking, who is this guy? I'd never heard him before. He is purely broadcasting for people revising for their O-levels. That was the plan, yeah. <laughs> that was, And he, he did it brilliantly. And it, it seemed like the most minority of minority programmes you might ever hear in your life. And yet he ended up... He's, he, doesn't he do the breakfast show on Radio 2, right? <laughs> he does. You know, well, and Chris, so these guys, I think it's worth just reiterating this, couldn't get hired anywhere else. Oh, that would be absolutely right. Yeah, so the biggest stars mm. in British radio and broadcasting very often couldn't get hired... 15, 20 years ago, by the same people who are quite happy to hire them now. Johnny Walker, let's not forget. We're talking <laughs> yeah. about, you know, young shavers, but yeah, actually yeah. We, we also brought Johnny Walker back, who was languishing somewhere mm. in, uh, you know, in, in the southwest. But Chris, Chris's evening programme, uh, th- this, um, this was a result of some kind of Bannisterian initiative, which was, we need to have something for the young people. So we'll put Chris on. And what are young people interested in? Ah, I know. I've been to a focus group. They're interested in the environment. So, <laughs> oh, dear. So I was the greenhouse. <laughs> Chris, can you do it, oh. you know, with a sort of green yeah. kind of vibe? Um, <laughs> so Evans went away and came back and said, yeah, what I'll do is I'll call it Chris in the greenhouse. And the only thing I can remember about the items in it was it had a spot which was called 
Are you an environmentalist? <laughs> uh, you know, so Chris has developed his act right, right. since then. So, Phil, you, they then hired you, first of all, yeah. to substitute for uh, who, who was uh, it? It was um, no, the very first show that I ever did on my own was sitting in for Lamar. I was sitting in for Lamar on a Sunday morning. Mark was on holiday. And I came. This is before Mark actually, I think, realised he could pre record three hours, which now. He doesn't let anyone sit in for him on Radio 2 on God's Jukebox. Right. <laughs> those, those shows, I believe, he has pre-recorded into the middle of 2012 <laughs> as we sit here. So, so yeah, this was your first experience yeah, yeah. of presenting a radio program. Yeah. So what were, what, was the, what were the biggest shocks to you about actually doing it? I think it is that it was initially, well, at first, when you first do it, they don't know if you're going to be in good, any good, so they don't, they don't teach you to drive the kit. They, they put you, so you are sat there, like a guest at your own party because I had a big chap called Gavin Lawrence down from Kent lovely lad one of these sort of tech gurus and Gavin was driving for me so someone else is so he was running the desk running the the records and so what you have to do is you just have to give him all you do is you give him the next record yeah Um, and that even that process of having someone else drive to me just made it a bit no you want the slickness you want the grammar of being able, when you're in the middle of a conversation, being able to pull every yeah, microphone yeah, yeah. in the room down and whack a sound in. You, the thing is, is a, as a comedian, what you are attuned to is where the punchline comes in a sentence and where the best moment is. And that you can't do with someone else driving the desk. Right, so, right. It feels so you had to go and practice, did you? It feels initially clunky. And then they do teach you how to drive a desk. And and I just interu- can I just interrupt you now? Yeah. Because this is really important, I think, that some people, of a, certainly of a younger generation, don't understand. You yeah. used an interesting word there, which is the word sat. Mm. Now, for a whole generation of people, DJs aren't people who sit at all. They're people who stand. Mm. And the first person I ever saw stand actually was Danny, although yes. he sits yeah, yeah. down now. Yeah. But he came, he couldn't understand what he's he, aged what's now, Danny, this for. And he kicked the chair away, <laughs> pulled the microphone up in the air, and then, you know, gave it some. But th- that's quite an interesting it was, thing, it was, isn't it? It was odd, but I only, I would do that sometimes when interviewing. And so it's just to... I, I, I suppose there is a certain truth to that you think better on your feet, and I think maybe you do. You know, if well, it's energy, isn't it? And you are a stand-up after all. With Julian Cope in the room, both of us were standing, and that was <laughs> when Copey came in. There was a real sort of—he wasn't only standing; he was actually crouching in an almost panther-like stance. <laughs> and at any moment, he could have leapt across the control desk, which was part of the beauty of the whole morning. So, right? how long did it take you to learn how to drive the desk, as um, they used to call it in radio? Probably still do. I suppose. No, yeah, no, yeah, two sessions in the afternoon, two hours of actually doing it, and then they have someone over your shoulder for two shows, just watching to make sure you don't disconnect all of the BBC South of Watford with and one did, press of a button. And did that make you more sympathetic to DJs and the challenges I they face? It, it did. I mean, because it just it just made me realise you've got an awful lot to think about, and it made me understand actually. There's that there's a column in Private Eye called DJ Babble. And I'm like, it's kind of a bit of a hollow gag, really, because the thing about a DJ is they're conducting an interview and a conversation while looking at that and looking at that. Yeah. So they've actually got three things on the go at once. Mm-mm-mm. And so someone will say something to them and they'll go, yeah, all right, whatever. Well, not really, because part of their mind is on the next CD that's playing or the fact they've got to make weather or this guy's overrunning. And actually, if we don't get to travel in the next 20 seconds, I'm going to get bollocked by management. And so there's too much going on in a DJ set. So anything that happens, particularly the guys at sport, because they've got so much going on, and they're watching the game and, and also, you know, the natural proclivities of sportsmen towards language. I would imagine that most of their brain is occupied with not saying anything yeah. to outre <laughs> yeah. while they are on air. Yeah. So you've got to think about that as well. I've got I mean, a huge I'd, respect for DJs. Because I dropped they, the F-bomb twice at six. 
and twice at GLR. Just both accidentally. Completely accidentally. I always think I'd never do it. You, you think you don't because you've just got this. It's really weird. I'm incredibly. How did you say it? Phil Go Wilding on, Phil. is. Tell us how you said it. Well, no, you can do it on the word. The, the, how the the the, 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 the my favourite one ever was we had Kevin Smith on, and Wilding went to me. Look, we've got Smith coming on, and you know what he's like. We've heard him being interviewed. You know what he's like. The man's a fucking nightmare. So what we got to do? I think if he swears, all you do is say, "Ladies and gentlemen, we're very sorry," and just bang into a record straight away. Just, just you know. You do that. And I'm like, okay, all right. And so we were there, and Kevin Smith came in. He's got that kind of, uh, kind of laconic LA. Well, hey, when we were shooting clerks, it was just as canny, you know. And we were there, but we were there, and my button was constantly hovering over to start a record and over the faders for the voice. Constantly, just one finger there and one over the faders, just waiting for him to say something. He didn't, all the way through. <laughs> and we got right to the end of the interview. And I went, well, uh, Kevin Smith, um, thank you very, very much for taking time out of schedule of coming in today. He goes, uh, uh, no, Phil, man, it's, uh, it's been really cool. Thanks for having me. I went, it has been a fucking pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Wilding, Phil Wilding has just, 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 just pointed at the thing. We just played a record. And the thing is, is there's this thing, there is um, a policy of when you swear on air, you're supposed to apologise immediately yeah. and play a record. Now, what I did, different, ignored it. And then let's see what happens. Let's see who complains. Never got a complaint for swearing. After swearing, and guests swore a few times on the show. And we would just say, they're now language, this is the radio. We never apologised. That just And that, to me, draws to me. Have you ever heard the Johnny Vaughan? The Johnny Vaughan's... Um, it's on YouTube. You can find it. If you put Johnny Vaughan's sidekick swearing, I can't remember what girl it oh, is. Oh, we'll find that. And the top of the show, it comes out of the Capital Radio. Da, 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 ba, ba, da. And they literally, you can hear a mic go up and the girl goes, oh, what the fucking hell's going on? Literally. <laughs> the first words that come out of her mouth on the show. And then immediately you can hear the panic because they go into three jingles in a row. Kettle radio, this and a record and a jingle. And when they come out of the record, Johnny Vaughan, it's like he's apologised for the torpedoing of the Belgrano. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, some of you obviously may have heard at the beginning of the show there was a little bit of anguish. <laughs> that to me makes the whole fucking thing worse. <laughs> Trevor, what's the one they still talk about in the broadcasting circles? So, what's the worst on air faux pas? Uh, my, I don't know whether it's the worst. My personal favourite was I was taught when I was very new in radio by a guy called Tony Church, long since deceased, that to test a microphone, can he came out of the theatre, that you needed some explosive <laughs> sounds just to make sure that the mic was working properly. And so he taught me that you, you should always take level by saying, fuck pig, fuck pig, fuck pig. <laughs> oh, oh, what okay. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And there was, for many years, extant, I still have a copy of it, a copy of Tony opening up BBC Radio Nottingham's transmitters on a Sunday morning, doing the old, <coughs> good morning, good morning, this is, you know, he's about to launch the station, and that's what you hear, and uh, <laughs> it, it, that's an extremely comical moment. Were you there, Phil, in the days at GLR when they used to have a box of records in the corner of the studio, that oh, labelled yeah. music for no, solemn occasion? Every, which every... Which then was updated <laughs> over the years. First of all, when I was there, it was music for a solemn occasion. And there, were, say that there, there was Elgar and whatever, mm. I don't know. And then after a while it was music for when the Queen Mother pegs it. 
It's <laughs> on the outside, of course, you know the, the the royal death that happened was was Diana, which was not the one. And, uh, and Mo- Morris and others would go through those records and yeah. put alternative records oh, no. inside oh. those sleeves, just in case. <laughs> ho ho! My how we laughed. Oh man! So Phil, when you you moved to when Six Music started, yeah. well, I don't know. Were you there at the beginning March doing 11, the breakfast? March 11, two thousand two, launched the station, dear boy. So you were there doing breakfast. Now, breakfast is a major step up from any other kind mm. of radio. So, yeah. how did you, how did you find that role? What were the what were the things you well, learned about was, that role? It was the fact that they want they obviously you are the for some reason like the standard bearer of the station on breakfast. I don't know where that's particularly come from. How that has emerged, and so all you do is is you. Also, you operate in isolation from the rest of the station because you're there and you're starting your show. You're arriving at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. There's no other fucker there, and you're just there, and you're you're creating this show. And so you you're oddly detached from the rest of the station. And so the breakfast team are quite often treated a bit differently to any other show because you're not there and part of the cut of thrust of the daily banter. Right. You're the first thing in the morning, and then you're going out. And and because you're operating this sort of bubble, you you become. Pariahs. <laughs> but it, it, that reputation grows yeah. up because in the traditional radio station, the breakfast show has the biggest audience. I mean, that's mm. when the biggest yeah. audience I mean, is that available. Everywhere, Every, doesn't it? Well, except in digital radio. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. It's quite I interesting. Think, I would be turning on a work. I haven't looked at these figures for the last few months since they suddenly became a massive hit. But Six Music, when you were on, actually had a bigger audience later in the day mm. than it did at breakfast. Yeah. And, and it's kind of stood some of that orthodoxy on its head. And was that because people were listening in a different well, I think, it's because, I think it's because Six Music's audience was not a traditional get up in the morning, put the radio. Right. A lot of its listeners were people for whom it was a second choice station. So they would wake up with four or five or something oh, else and then listen later in the day, often at work. And also there was, a, the, the, and I think still is, a lift in digital radio round about four or five o'clock when people get home mm. and put their computers on and then they, they have right. their radio station on as a but stream. But classically, people want to know why breakfast DJs are traditionally paid far more money than 8 the a.m. station that's put together. Three, four, the, five times the audience of the rest of the day. Huge number at the beginning yeah. of the day. And it tails off during the day. Tails off pretty much from nine or ten o'clock. So if you don't start with a big number, yeah. your life is a lot and be- harder. And because the your uh, radio station is, def- or the, and the success of it is des- uh, defined by reach, in other words, the number of people who listen at all. Yeah. Um, the truth is that if you've got a big breakfast audience in a normal station, you actually you could shut the station down at ten a.m. and go home, and you would still be successful well, because you, you've st- you've already reached all the people you did, will. Did. Is it true that X doesn't have people on air from ten till? Oh, well, I, I was yeah, that's the question I was going to ask. With, with uh, well, I've met, been at, I've been radio stations where they yeah. just record all the links to go through the night, and the, all, and the yeah. computer just plays the all, all of Heart, you know, which yeah. used to be something like fifty, sixty little stations all around the country, and is now fifteen big hubs, as they're called. Yeah. All of Heart is now one breakfast show done in that area for that area, yeah. and then the rest of it's all syndicated. Right, right, right. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, Phil, how long were you doing the breakfast show? On five years. Five, five years. Five years. Five years, one month. And did yeah. you feel you'd had enough? It was basically, um, 
Yeah, I mean, what happened was was uh, there's a uh, actually you know, it's weird because it's, it's when people talk about it and go, "Wow, you really stuck it to Rick Blackstone." So I kind of different. I kind I didn't. I sort of explained in the book that he came from a different discipline and was brought in to kind of shake up the station. Yes, because this this is talked about by Mark Ellen yeah. in the current issue. Yeah. Well. just explain that for the uh, there's Rick Blackstone is a very lovely fellow who I first met when he hired me to present Top of the Pops. Which, you know, the kind of man that opens that kind of gym will fix it window on your life. <laughs> you always owe him, basically. <laughs> and, 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 he, and, I, and he was great at Top of the Pops. And the only, he, I, he'd seen me doing a corporate gig. I, I think I presented, it might be the Music Week Awards. And off the back of seeing me present the Mortem, and he went, Can't do Top of the Pops. And I was like, What? Even I was sort of doubtful, but went and did it, had a real laugh. And then I didn't meet him until later when he was brought in uh, as the second. Uh, station uh, sort of manager under Leslie Douglas at Six Music and Rick had come from GCAP and they're very target oriented. So GCAP is very is is the big independent you know, not, really. not any, anymore because it's okay. been subsumed yeah. into so global. So this was Capital Radio and yeah. loads and yeah. loads of other So at the time it was just a very very different thing and, and he, 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 he brought in he started, he said I'd like you to record the show so we can talk about it later in the week and, and I don't. So these are these things called snoop tapes, and it's like I don't understand what I I I won't be able to account for anything I say because <laughs> the whole point of talking on the radio to me is you switch your brain off and you kind of amble, and you that's why you like the people that listen because you're a bit unfocused and you chat about this that and the other. But I wouldn't if someone had played a recorded radio show of me and then goes right, why did you say that? I don't know. Well, you know, I couldn't. And I just basically, I went over his head to Leslie and I went, look, I can't do this Snoop tape thing because it will just, it will get me nowhere and it will just get me angry. And more and more things slowly started coming in. And uh, Leslie, who I'm very fond of, stopped taking me for breakfast. And she used to take me for breakfast every three months and just have a little chat about how things going. And for the last year I was there, I never got a decent breakfast out of her. <laughs> so, although, I mean, she, when I, when I, I, I get the feeling that they wanted me to go and I just preempted it. I kind of understood well, I'm going to be moved anyway, so I'll go before they move me. I, I don't think she went... Well, when I went in and said I was leaving, there was no kind of... Oh, she straight away... There was, yeah, there was no, oh, Philip, how will we Sit manage down. without you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, don't do anything hasty. Let's talk about this. There was none of that. So I think I just judged it pretty much perfectly, really. So, Trevor, you've got a lot of experience in yeah. this. Not all of it happy. You know, in, in trying to, you know, manage radio talent, it always strikes me as one of the hardest things you can possibly do in the well, media. I hate that word. Well, okay, but, <laughs> but that's what he has to do. My way about the talent. The talent. Now, my way, I, there's, there's, a, there's all the stuff with Rick Blacksill in, in, in Phil's book. I think he's really brilliant, and I don't think I've ever read that sort of account because people tend to just sort of move on and not bother with it. And I like the fact that you've been really candid about that because it does seem to me to speak to what we were talking about earlier about the intimacy of the relationship and how producers try and change you and they can't really... And my um, uh, uh, kind of insight into this, insofar as it is, is that I've also done the other thing, because I went off a few years ago and did a breakfast show on a BBC local radio station in Cambridge and had a slightly similar experience, because what happens is they hire you for all the things you are, and they offer you all these great blandishments, these um, uh, uh, sort of... uh, um, They tell you how marvellous you are, basically, in an effort to hire you. And then as soon as you start, 
they say, hmm. And the first one that came to me was, Trevor, could you could you talk a bit more about EastEnders and Corrie? <laughs> and, I, and I would say, well, no, because I don't watch them. Well, could you pretend to? No! No, oh. because then I won't be being authentic. And if I'm not me, <laughs> then I'll get worse and it'll be rumbled. And then it would be... Do you think you could do a competition? Uh, what sort of competition? We, we had in mind a, a mystery voice. No, I can't. That's exactly what the previous guy used to do, and you told me it was all shit. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> so, so, so in the end, the only thing you can do is move people. Yeah. And you hope that they go. Or and I did yeah. what Phil did, which I thought, I can see what's coming here. It, you know, so, so I said, cheerio. But, I, you know, as a producer and manager... I've 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 been I've been Leslie. I've been in exactly yeah, yeah. that position where you have somebody on and you know they're good, but actually maybe they're a bit tired, particularly at breakfast. Yeah. Maybe um, you've been told by your own bosses that the station's got to change gear a bit, and you've said it's, to Phil once or twice, "Can you play a little less scar?" Yeah, and yeah, Phil's yeah. gone, "No, you can't." <laughs> <laughs> And if eventually you just think, I tell you what, drive time would suit Phil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I've, in fact, she did say, "How about a show later in the day?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Eleven o'clock." No. And, that, that, and the didn't thing ask is, you to do Christmas Day, did they, Phil? No, I, I, I did, was got asked to do Christmas Day. I did day. do Christmas Day, and we were told that. Well, because it's very important because it's our first Christmas day, <laughs> and we were told everybody will be in, and there wasn't one other fucker in there. <laughs> it was me and Phil Wilding, and I think it was Jaffa at the time we were there. Might, Joe might have been there as well, and we were just like doing the show, and and well, Gid will be in next. No, can you start his show when you finish yours? <laughs> it's pre-recorded. Just yes, he's at press home. start. And when we arrived, we pressed stop on the show before us. And we pressed start button when we left. I mean, with the, but it was that I was really glad to do it. I Did they do the line about? Um, oh, lots of kids will have just got new digital radio. Well, so they were a huge audience. No, no, you couldn't. You could not. They were like rocking all shit that Christmas day. Seriously, <laughs> you couldn't get a digital radio. I couldn't get one for a year. We we opened the station March the eleventh, uh, two thousand two, and I got digital radios for my family the following May. So. Like fifteen months later, I was able to get the first digital radios. I, it was really, and the people at Argos at Lakeside, I'm sure, still speak of it. <laughs> the day the frenzied man came in and bought all their dabs and ran out laughing and crying simultaneously. I think I bought a DAB tuner, and I think, am I wrong, Trevor? I think I paid thousand pounds for it. Yeah, well, I was given two by the BBC, oh, which I still oh, yeah. have. I and, was, uh, yeah, I was given one. And uh, yeah. yeah, they were several hundred pounds, and they were yeah. black uh, yeah. rack systems. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, one of the things you do in your book, which I, uh, I, very close to my heart, actually, is you, you listen to radio that you don't normally listen to, yeah. for, uh, to, to, to talk about it. Of course, we all, we, all have, we all have opinions about radio stations that we never listen to, because yeah. it, it's a very unnatural thing to do, isn't it? But, and I want to talk about two particular cases and just get your views here as, uh, you know, as radio professionals. And, and, and one is somebody that I listened to the other day for the first time in years, Chris Moyles. And I know the, the reputation of Chris Moyles is he doesn't play any records, he just talks. And, and I, the radio was tuned by somebody else in the house, so I was woken up by the sound of somebody talking. And I realised after a while, this is Chris Moyles, and he's going to play a record in a minute. No. And five minutes went by, no record. Ten minutes went by, no record. I think 15 minutes went by 
with four people talking about something that happened in the restaurant last night. And there's no record. Now, in the days when you were at Radio 1, people would have been hung, drawn and quartered for doing that, wouldn't they? Absolutely right. Now, let me just say, it's not a show I like myself, but then it's not aimed at me, so that's great. But it's, there's a great tradition of this. This is really what happened with Howard Stern, isn't it? That you start off being, you know, there's a, there's a whole load of others in, in, in America who've done this. They start off being DJs playing records, and then they develop the zoo format, and they start chatting with the, you know, the weather girl or the newsreader or the sports jock or whoever it is. And gradually, the relationship with the, the other people speaking becomes more interesting to the listener than any record you could possibly play. And I think Moyles is just part of that that tradition. And if if you want to plug into their companionship, actually a record just simply gets in the way. So there must be people on Radio 1 thinking, that's the right thing to do. Oh, they they definitely do now. That's Uh, really interesting. That's a major change in pop radio, isn't it? But if if you go to America, you'll find lots and lots of stations where... They, they carry all speech till 10, and then it's all music for the rest of the day. I see. So it's naturally not th- that unusual zoom, anymore. Yeah. What do you think about this, Bill? Um, I'm, it's, but it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm with Trevor, and I'm in the it's not for me camp. Um, I get the impression when I have tuned in to his show that it's this big, exciting party to which you're not actually invited. It's like you're kibitzing on someone else's com- com- conversation, and it's just... We are of a certain age, though, yeah, aren't yeah. we? That's it's the thing. Like, if we did like it, it probably wouldn't be yeah, right. No, the thing no. I found myself thinking listening to it was, if this was a bunch of people I kind of liked and identified with talking like this, would I like it? And I wasn't sure. Because, you know, I think, you know, I know we're, we're nothing to write home about on the word podcast in terms of kind of sophisticated production and so forth. But next to Chris Moyles, we sounded like in our time. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, this, this felt like this conversation is going nowhere. There is no punchline. Nobody's going to draw any learning from it. It's basically talking about paying the bill in a restaurant the night before. It's, I mean, and that's what, when I did, for the book, I did listen to a radio station, a commercial radio station, a big, brash commercial radio station. I listened to the whole show from six in the morning till ten o'clock. And it's the most regretful four hours <laughs> of my entire life. To be fair, you're not supposed to listen for that long, are you? No. Well, They're not you designing it. Going in there. It's not designed. It's not sustainable. Is that what they say? Twenty-three minutes. Is that yeah, 22 really? Minutes. Really? Yeah. So, can yeah. explain yeah. this? Twenty-two the, minutes. That's a big ask. Yeah. <laughs> for the benefit of people listening to this, you know, we, we all have our traditional complaints about radio. Oh, it's too familiar, or it's too obvious, or whatever. But this is done by, scientifically, isn't it? People Trevor? say, yeah. I mean, the, the research says that people listen to radio stations for about twenty-two minutes, and then they do something else. Um, and so that's why the advice is always throw forward, throw forward, tell them what's coming next, try and keep them, try and keep them, because that'll put your hours up, and that's good for selling advertising. So if you can keep them for another two minutes, it's... Yeah, that all sounds good. Oh, and true. also keep so telling them what they're So it's always coming up after to. the next record, is yeah. so keep, keep playing your imaging, your jingles, keep yeah. saying what it is. You, that's, that's the advice that's always given. But, of course, when you meet people who, um, who do listen to the radio, they always say, God, it's so repetitive. And, and it, sometimes you feel as though those people who are just casual listeners are more important to the programme management. But I think there's something else that I was going to raise. I was talking to, a bit of a name drop here, to Simon Mayo, who was on my podcast uh, yesterday, and we were talking about 
um, what we listen to. And he said, I think he's right, he said, most people I know who like music listen to speech radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm the one, I'm one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's true, because if we like music enough, we don't really want anyone else to choose yeah, it for it us, thank you. We'll, is, we'll do that, but we don't want conversation. Yes, when I took the six gig, I'm like, no one who I know <laughs> will listen to this, because they all listen to today. Yeah, yeah. And then, then when at the end of it, they put a Tom Waits album on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so another breakfast, or a morning presenter, that I just wanted to, to, uh, to get your views on, because she's in the news at the moment, is Sarah Kennedy. <laughs> oh, for, Cheers. Yeah. What now? <laughs> chin chin, everybody. <laughs> now for the Aren't kids funny? <laughs> <laughs> and if, black people. If, Have you if, ever met one of them? If pets could talk, <laughs> that woman would be on air for the rest of her life. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, clearly she's got and had an audience. You know, people really like her. And... On the rare occasions I hear her, I always think, she's got a really important com- companion, but she sounds a little bit mad. Yeah, bit which, which I quite <laughs> like that. Well, what she does sound is real. She's authentic. Yeah. That isn't an act. That's who she is. She is your mad auntie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's fine. I'll pop round to Auntie Kay's, you know, and, and she'll talk drivel for ages and probably show me a snap of her and Uncle Wilf on the beach at Weston in 1962. And cheers, thanks, nice to see you. That's who she is. But she's broadcasting at six in the morning to a load of other mad aunties. (laughs) That's her constituency. Yeah, I I think that the reason that she's still on air is that that there is this this kind of mindset at the BBC of, let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Because she can only get madder. (laughs) She, ha- she has, of course, gone now. That's, uh, that's she why gone? she's well, in she's... the news. Oh, what happened? She's disappeared. She's just left. She left? It's a mystery. Oh, I yeah. see. They've got this it really... would be wrong of us to speculate as to why that might have happened. We, I mean, learned friends would be very we interested in any speculation. doing any of that. But that's extraordinary. So just one day you turn on the radio yeah. and there she wasn't. There she wasn't. Wow. She'd become Lynn Parsons. So, and I suppose the... the re- <laughs> I'm sure you're going to tell me about that in a moment. So... They, they were not going to allow her a tearful, Wogan-esque farewell, were they? Because oh, no. that really would. You no, know. No, no, no. So, Lynn Parsons, go on. Well, Lynn's doing it at the moment. I but she's say. meant to be joining Smooth. Oh, right. And you should, you know, Smooth, the, the station that's, that's going forward into the brave new world with Simon Bates as its breakfast host. <laughs> smooth. To be fair about Simon Bates, can I just ask one question? I want to know what your views are on this. The smashy and nicey brigade of yeah. DJs, Will they be remembered longer and more fondly than the people who came after them? I don't think the people that came after them really got a long enough innings. And but the thing is, I don't. I think they'll be. I don't know if they'll be. They're not remembered fondly by me. Right. I just think that, that, that it's. It was all that was on, and at the time they just had this. They had this kind of what was it, sixty-seven to seventy-seven window where they just became broadcasting gods. These guys. And they just, all that was wrong with that bunch was they just started to believe yeah, yeah. their own publicity. And, and things like the Radio 1 Roadshow just served to bolster this. And so what Radio 1 did was create half a dozen completely unmanageable egos. Right. Mm. And, and then you get things like Dave Lee Travis, when he leaves, going, there are things happening at this station <laughs> that I'm not at all happy about. <laughs> I can't talk about everything on air. But I'm going to leave this station as ungraciously as a human being can. 
and, and that's what happens is you start to believe you're something, and which is why that when that um, they made that program about them, they just gave him enough rope to hang themselves. Adrian just genuinely thought he was the funniest man on British radio mm. because he played comedy clips of other people's jokes. He thought he was a comedian because he did that. Dave Lee Travis, at that moment when they're filming him, he said, I just like that idea that all around the country, every single person was putting on their kettle at the same time. If that happened, Dave, there would be a massive power outage for a kickoff. Generators up and down the land would collapse. And it, they, just, they just believed things about themselves that simply weren't true. You've got to remember the scale of this. You know, now, Moyles or even Evans... Uh, have audiences in sm- small numbers of millions. Yeah, yeah. When I joined Radio 1 as a producer in 1979, the first staff meeting I went to was about how um, uh, what a challenge it was that the audience had just dipped below 20 million <laughs> for the first yeah. time. Yeah. And, you know, that just gives you the scale. These people were monsters. And yeah. the Radio 1 Roadshow was a daily Nuremberg rally. Mm. You know, and yeah. anybody whose ego, you know, was going to be fed was going to be fed big time by all that, and it, they did. It, they did turn into absolute monsters. We're in Biddeford. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't that many people yeah. in Cornwall. <laughs> I remember Noel Edmonds starting one of those once, saying, "Hey, you'll never believe what I've done this morning. I've been on a bus." <laughs> Fantastic. We miss those days. <laughs> Listen, we've got a few questions from the masses, which we solicited via, via Twitter. Uh, and, of course, everybody's odd names, so you'll have to forgive those. E. Clues wants to know, when will Six Music's numbers drop off again? Because, obviously, they had... A- they had a big spike while the controversy about whether it was closing mm. or not well, was going on. I, my personal view is that they won't. Uh, I and I don't good. think that the controversy is the only reason the figures got better. I think the figures have got better because of uh, Paul and Rogers, yeah. who now runs the place, yeah. who is a, a genius. Yeah. And what Paul has done is shifted back to the original idea of Six Music, which is it's not about well, how old you are, it's about how much you like music. Yeah. And I think the playlist now is, is very attractive. You know, it's, it's on in our office. It's our radio station of choice at the Radio Academy. And, you know, the, 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 the girls will say, oh, that's the Killers, we like them. And I'll go, oh, that's Nick Drake. And it, it, it's a yeah. very attractive listener. And, and I tell you what, it's also the safest BBC station now, isn't it? I the, think they will never. The thing is, oh, to, to, to change it now. There forever. Oh yes, it's one of those. I just, I just think that you could, you just knew in your heart with what JLR did. I just felt, I just knew that Six Music, if it was done properly, would have worked. And the only thing working against us from the very beginning was the technology. Was that no one had dabs, and we, the problem we had was awareness. And so there are two schools of thought over the, the whole the, the Mark Thompson thing. It was one is that it was like what Heinz did with salad cream. Say that you're taking it off the shelves and people go nuts. Um, and the other was that it really was going to go. And I, I subscribe to the latter, to be honest. I think it was, you know, because we live in strange financial times. Oh, it but was this, definitely going. This I mean, 1.2 million off. was what they always wanted. They wanted one between 1 and 5 million. And it will not, I, I don't think it will dip below that. I don't think it'll ever go below a million six. Not now. Not now. People know what it is and that it's there. And there what? is another reason for this, which is that Radio 2 gradually will, will be playing fewer and fewer records. Over the next few years, 
Radio 2's job is to shed audience. Uh, because it's too successful. You can do that, Trevor. Yeah, I know. I'm, I've, I've offered. I've said, you know, I'm your man. Um, so you think those things, they'll, they'll become sh- more speechy. I'm th- this sure. idea of more speech in the morning and then music during Absolutely. the day when people are listening. And, and, and I less. think it's more people will, will, will drift away looking for something that perhaps Radio 2 could have done, but it doesn't have to do it now because Six is doing it. Uh, now, Ducky Duxter wants to know, isn't the BBC obsession with celebrity presenters a bad thing? Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> Go on. What's well, I, just to make the point, and I, you know, I, I, I don't say this, uh, you know, to, to be disrespectful of anybody, but radio presenters should not be recruited exclusively from a pool of people who've yeah. been on the telly. And that is a real problem, and it, it's a it's a lack of confidence problem, I think, mm. particularly uh, at the BBC, but it's true elsewhere as well. That you think, oh, I, I, am I confident enough that this person, no one's ever heard of, will do well? Maybe I'm not. I'll buy Gabby Logan because she's famous. She's on the telly. I did actually ask this. I did. It's not just because I'm on telly, was it? And Leslie said she used to listen to GLR, and that was good enough for me. Right, right. You know, it's just it's the it's the music angle. But it does it does have an effect on the potential audience, though, doesn't it? Well, if, if, if you're famous a person is presenting something, you probably get a quarter more. Well, try you're, you're, buying a, you're buying a brand. Aren't you'll you? get you're more trial, a, yeah. Dave. Yeah. that's true. Yeah. And you don't have to spend so much money advertising the fact that we've got an unknown breakfast show. That's true, but I think it sometimes works the other way because people certainly say to me, why is that person given a radio show when actually they're not as good at it as some experienced radio presenters? Ducky adds, he's heard of commissioning uh, meetings where ideas are rejected for want of a name. I just wanted to to run over this once more. We had a TV commissioning editor in a few months ago who was talking about the fact that it's all about the name nowadays, you know. And uh, and there's a rumour going around the office that Danny Dyer has been hired to present present a programme called The Geezer in Gaza, where Danny Dyer explains the Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, well, if yeah. it's not true, I don't want to it know that be. it's not true. It's, well, it, it should be true. You know, wh- why do you think Jimmy Savile was given a show going round to different places in England? Just because John Walters said we should have a programme called Savile's Travels. And it all came from hey. there. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Spooky Dirt wants to know, is radio dead and is podcasting the new radio? And he asks, or, he, or she asks, please please use the words long tail in your answer. <laughs> 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 Phil, what do you think? Um, I think as, as soon as they figure out um, um, some kind of way of getting 4G in cars, then it'll happen. Then radio. Radio will never die. Radio will never die. But I think that once, if you figure out a way of getting uh, computer feed for media entertainment in cars, streaming to cars. So you'll order up what you want to listen to. Then you basically think, oh, I'd like to listen to God's Jukebox on Friday night on my three-hour drive today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll just be able to cherry-pick. This is it. Time-shifting will... It's not so much... The technology is going to change radio... Um, I think of all the challenges, it's weird, is that the most radio-like thing is now, the, I think is the closest thing to a threat that radio's had. They said that television was going to destroy radio, it didn't. They said that radio was going to die, radio numbers have gone up over the years, I think. Radio listening has increased. Uh, but I think that this idea of time-shifting, once everybody gets hold of it, once everybody understands that you can do it, I think that it will become... My mother would listen to nothing but... If you put if you put an archive of Wogan shows somewhere on a 
hard drive at the BBC. My mother would just listen to our Vogue shows. Because the there's no life. difference between a podcast and a radio show, yeah. except for the form of delivery. Yeah. And all this is that we're doing is on-demand radio. Yeah. And, and, you know, I listen to the word podcast every week, you know, on a train or in my car or, or doing something. And, and I listen to it when it suits me to listen. And, and I think what you want from radio is both of those things you want live you know if it's commentary on you know the, a cricket match or something or if it's prime minister's question time uh, you want live and mm-hmm. if it's this kind of you know discursive bollocks yeah. then you want it when you want it when it suits you well that's enough discursive bollocks <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me the perfect wrap up there <laughs> phil's book is called good morning nantwich adventures in breakfast radio available in the, in your bookshop now anything anybody wants to plug phil uh, no, no the, the shitty pop quiz will be back in the autumn, <laughs> for those of you that were wondering. <laughs> Trevor? Uh, have a listen to Amazing Radio on your DAB set. All new tunes, 100% emerging music all the time. And it has a show on it called It's Amazing that I do and you're sometimes on. Absolutely. And we, 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 we just talk about new tunes and we quite like them, don't we? Phil, you're a big Twitterer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I can't remember if it was via Twitter. I just wanted you to just explain at the end... Um, Something I caught up with that you were doing a couple of months ago when you and I think Marcus Brigstock were coming back from Cornwall yeah. having not had a Cornish pasty. Yeah. Carry yeah. on. Well, we realised at, uh, at, the, at the train station, as we were getting on the train, we'd been in Cornwall for 20 hours and had not partaken of the nation's leading savoury pasty in case meat and potato and sweet product. And we were crushed by this thought and then I thought hang on a moment 80,000 followers have got to be good for something and so we were on a train we called up on our iPhones where the train was going to be stopping and at what times and we basically said we've not had a Cornish pasty we really like some could you please possibly if we're going to be at stations at this time if you can deliver us some Cornish pasties we will pay you double for them and um, we basically initiated what you can see on YouTube. If you if you put in Great Pasty Hunt <laughs> on YouTube, you will find four films of myself and, uh, and Mr. Marcus Brigstock tracking down savoury goodies with the use of the internet. We basically used Twitter to get food. And, uh, and it was... Our favourite moment was uh, when the man was standing on the platform. We, we arrived at one station, I think it was Exeter St David's, to find two British rail engineers, each holding a pasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, what the internet's And called. then a guy came down the train because he got them from the buffet carriage, and I'm, saying, I'm not sure that's in the spirit of the thing, <laughs> but thank you anyway. <laughs> and then there was another, there were people waiting on the platform at, um, oh God, further down the line, which I think was, I can't even remember where it was, but there was a guy with six in a bag. We got 14. We only <laughs> needed two, and we got 14. It's a magical media moment. It was It was just, I just quite like, I, I do like it when Twitter flies off into an odd, but there was one night when I was in a hotel, and I started sociologically, you know, like 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 Attenborough in a hind, watching blokes and women trying to cop off with each other at a Novotel bar, and yeah. that, and I tweeted that. The, the alpha male is now <laughs> buying a lager and lime for the female. <laughs> She's rejected him. <laughs> I, 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 Twitter, it's for those that don't like it. Um, it's, I, I, t- I was talking to Chris Addison about this in Edinburgh, and it is just that, that idea of a live journal of what's happening. And when a moment starts like that, and you can carry it on on Twitter, those, 
those are the those are when it's it's just the most fun. And the great pasty hunt was finding pastry through Twitter was possibly the finest finest four hours of my life. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.